What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Solid Ground Podcast. My name is Lucas Larson, and I'm joined again by the one and only Skylar Farley. Uh, we're jumping in today into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Skylar, man, how you doing today? Doing awesome. Told Lucas we've been, our family's been on lockdown for the last 10 days or so with COVID. So I've had an abundance of time on my hands and excited to jump in today. Uh, everyone is feeling much better. Praise God. And uh, yeah, so doing well. <laughs> All right. You ready to jump in here? First Let's one. do it. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter two. Uh, we'll go ahead and read these first five verses and it says, And so it is with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Hmm. So we kind of pick up where we left off uh, in the last episode when we talked about mm-hmm. the first chapter of this book. Um, your version says, and so it was, right? And mine says, and I, when I came to you, when we start here at the beginning of chapter two. Um, and so what he's referring to is is some of the logic that he laid down in the previous uh, chapter for us, but in the beginning of his letter to them. And if we remember right, first the, or the Corinthian church was um, a church who was full of the power of God and, and mm-hmm. manifested through the gifts of the Spirit, um, but had this first issue that we're seeing that Paul is discussing, um, that they had created a tribal-like uh, atmosphere in which mm-hmm. they were uh, um, putting pride or worth after following certain individuals who are just bringers of the gospel, right? Paul mm-hmm. and Apollos um, are primarily identified. And so Paul here comes to them and says, I didn't, you know, he said in chapter one, I didn't come to you speaking uh, with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be empty of its power, right? For the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but it is power to those who are being saved. For mm-hmm. foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom, and mm-hmm. the weakness of God stronger than any human strength. For the goal of the one who boasts might boast in the Lord, right? And so what he was Amen. saying to them was, in a culture that was defined in most ways in that Greek culture at that time, again after you know great philosophers like Plato and uh, Aristotle came through, they were defined by seeking after wisdom and knowledge as well as um, just like a, a level of hedonism in which they were seeking pleasure and, and often that came through just a demonstration of power, right? And so mm-hmm. this was, was Paul almost setting a, a leveling field in which he's saying, you know, set your eyes and your attention back on God whose, whose foolishness is greater than your wisdom and his weakness greater than your strength. Let your boasting be only in the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And so he picks up and says, that's the heart in which I came to you, right? I came to you boasting not in myself, but in the mm-hmm. Lord. And mm-hmm. he, he exemplified that, he says, by the way that he came, not speaking with lofty speech or wisdom, but deciding to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's almost like he places intentionally a limitation on himself. I mean, you can think there's many things yeah. that Paul 
could have expounded on. There's many uh, directions he could have gone. He's like, I've actually put a limitation, kind of a governor on the message that I'm going to share with you. Yep. Uh, and it's Christ and his cross, which are so central to the gospel. And really, if these are the two, the two main things, the person of Jesus and his cross that Paul chose to preach amongst the Corinthians, then the full weight of the gospel can hang on these two things, on Jesus and his person and how his nature is revealed in the wisdom of God through the cross. And I think it's interesting in those verses that Lucas was kind of summarizing from 1 Corinthians 1, one of the verses says that God designed it that we would not know him through the wisdom of this world. Um, and it's almost in this first verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where he's saying, and so it was with me, that Paul is in another way saying, uh, since God designed it that we wouldn't know him through the wisdom of this uh, world or through religious boasting, I'm not going to pick up either of those two things mm, because I yeah. want to know Jesus and I want to know the power of him crucified. So uh, I'm I'm not going to pick those things up. I've chosen that I'm going to identify with Christ in these two areas. Um, and he goes on to expound a little bit more about that. Yeah, 100%. And I just got to say, man, I think that, I think you're so right, number one, in saying that he almost placed somewhat of a limiter on himself in saying, I came to you only knowing Christ and him crucified. Um, and we find later, we'll find later in this book, uh, you know, that he almost, he almost explains that within himself and says, you know, I became, you know, a Jew to the Jews, a Gentile to the Gentiles, you know, Roman citizen to Roman citizens, right? I became whatever was needed for the sake of the gospel. Um, and so I think we see him doing that here becoming one who only knows Jesus and him crucified for the sake of these people who are speak or who are seeking the wisdom of man. Instead, he comes with the wisdom of God. Right. Um, but I also just want to note that I think that <laughs> I, I also think there's a fullness to knowing mm -hmm. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yes. Right. I mean, like, yes. number one, in knowing Jesus, we have Jesus in John 14 saying, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes mm -hmm. to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From mm -hmm. now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And so, you know, we have Jesus who says, I, I, you've seen me and so you've seen the Father. You've known me and so you've known the Father. And so if we, if we know Jesus, then, then we know Yahweh, right? Like there, mm -hmm. there's an equal correlation between the two, um, as well as knowing Christ crucified. If you know Christ crucified, you know the way in which our souls are saved. You know our mm -hmm. salvation, our sanctification, um, and the mm -hmm. things that God has done for us in his love and grace. And so, you know, while, yes, he did place a limiter on himself, I mean, these are still, like, this is still an incredibly powerful message to bring. Oh, oh 100%. Uh, no, I think and I know you were To that, demonstrate but, the power of those things. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Yep. Facts. And I'm just trying to sum that up. But uh, yeah, we continue, 100%. and he says, he says, uh, you know, I was with you in weakness, fear, and trembling. My speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith not rest, may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I think that's just his explanation of exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, that he came knowing Christ and him crucified. And then there was this demonstration of the Spirit in power that their faith would not be in man's power or wisdom, but in the power of God. And I find it interesting that he makes the comment in verse 3 where he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Uh, Scott, I don't know if you looked into that much, but some scholars actually think that Paul might have come, like when he was in Corinth, he might have actually had some sort of sickness or disease that he was battling, hmm. uh, or even there was an amount of fear within him uh, towards persecution, whether it was something he had just experienced or 
there was mm-hmm. pending persecution that he saw was possible um, that actually led him to being in this state. Hmm. Uh, I think it's just beautiful that it's like it's in that state of weakness, fear and trembling that Paul said, like, spirit, have your way, like work through me, yeah. like, continue yeah. to do yeah. what you brought me here to do. Help me to speak of Jesus and him crucified alone that your power might be known in the midst mm-hmm. of the wisdom of man. I love it. And I, I think regardless of the reason why he was weak and, and trembling in fear, um, at face value, we can just take it as there was nothing impressive about Paul that would draw him, uh, draw humans to him or after him uh, because he was through the world standards of their evaluation of him. Um, but he was powerful in the spirit and uh, I think Paul is basically saying, I wasn't there to draw men after myself, and now this is starting to happen. I was always amongst you to call men unto Christ, yeah. and you're forgetting that. And, and even though he's like almost reminding them, uh, look, I, I didn't come as this impressive human vessel so that you would be drawn after me. Like some might say, I've, I'm a student of Aristotle or uh, you know Socrates or one of these other philosophers of the day saying, no, right. I, I'm not the vessel that you're supposed to be enamored with, be enamored with Christ and with him crucified. And just to know, even on him knowing those two things, I I love that God chose to reveal himself in the cross. It's one of the clearest pictures. Often we talk about the benefits that were afforded to us in salvation and sanctification, just all these different things. Uh, But really the revelation we get first of God's self-sacrificial love and the type of God that we have, who's both, as we talked about in the study of Romans, the just and the justifier. I mean, just to stare at the way that the attributes of God are fully on display in the cross itself uh, is a mighty revelation. Um, So as you said, Lucas, I wholeheartedly agree. In limiting himself, he's actually showing the power of these two things um, and how so much of the church hangs on these two pillars, Christ and his cross, and the better we understand that, the better we represent the gospel. Um, but I love that uh, the source, even as uh, Paul talks about, it was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Um, Paul is this weak vessel. Um, understandably, is not the source of the power, but it's God's Spirit, so that God would be glorified both in the preaching of the gospel and in the way that it was demonstrated amongst the people. Um, so again, we see not only the message of the cross itself, but the way that it's being played out in front of people through this weak human vessel is all onto no one being able to boast in the presence of God and God getting all the glory. Yeah, no, so good. And so I think that, you know, Paul almost, in, in doing what he did here, right, and saying, um, you know, in declaring the wisdom and power of God as being, you know, as trumping the wisdom and power of man, um, and setting this standard or, or this boasting in Christ alone mm. uh, and not in ourselves and then walking through the way in which he even came, right? Not being one of great wisdom or power, right? But exemplifying God's power through him or through the spirit in him and knowing Christ and him crucified mm. alone. Um, he almost went through that to like dig down to the center of where these people were at in this mm-hmm. faulty like nature and faulty thinking um, in which they're ascribing themselves to different teams almost. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's pointing back to Christ, right? He's saying like, like you're wrong in this way of thinking. Um, you're seeking after something here that is, is really pitiful in, <laughs> in respect to the, the true nature of things. Um, and so he sets Christ back at his proper place. And then I think he almost begins 
to set like a, a stepping stone out of that place into the way in which um, I think that they're supposed to, that he's telling the church that they should walk, right? So mm. um, he begins to speak of the wisdom of God, right? The wisdom that comes from the Spirit. So we pick up in verse 6, and he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hmm. Well, I think if we just keep in, in mind that these first two chapters have made it clear Paul's intention for writing these, again, is just like with the book of Romans, is not him just providing a systematic theology, but he's applying the gospel to a specific situation where there's division in the church and it's a split over church leadership that the church leadership themselves, obviously, based on this letter, does not support this division that's taking place. Yeah. So Paul, in representing kind of a different facet of the gospel, is showing through the cross that God's wisdom is very different from the wisdom of this age. Um, so let's take just a moment to talk about uh, the wisdom of this age. And I'm going to read just a couple of verses from James that I think really speak to the heart of this matter will help us better understand the contrast that Paul is drawing between the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of God. So these verses come from James 3, 14 through 17. It says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, and it puts it in quotes, does not come from heaven. In other ways, words, James is saying this isn't really wisdom at all, um, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. And then there's a contrast drawn again. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And I think we see that even in in the, the wisdom that they're trying to um, ascribe themselves to, right, and in, in choosing these men as leaders, right, um, you know, it's a it's an envious, a selfish, a a prideful way of thinking. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of, of seeing each other under the headship of Christ, right, mm -hmm. and being one body, instead they were trying to choose out these men again who mm -hmm. were either you know great speakers or or demonstrated the power of God. And um, and so again, like he like he did, he he set the standard as as Christ. He set the reality as Christ, being the one we boast in. Um, but I think, and I love that he says, like, here he starts with the word yet, right? He's like, he's like, but don't think that this wisdom isn't meant to be had, right? Like the wisdom that mm -hmm. you're talking about from, that James spoke of, right? Like mm -hmm. a, a pure wisdom, a, a mm -hmm. good wisdom, right? Like these things are to come for those who, who know God, right? Or, or come to the knowledge of God through the Spirit. Um, and then he talks about it. So he says, the... To the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So he makes a contrasting statement here, right, about the wisdom of the age is a, a wisdom that passes away along with those mm. who are of this age, right? And he doesn't make the statement, but in saying that, it's to know that the wisdom of God is, is not a wisdom that passes away because God doesn't right. pass away, right? Right, right. Uh, so then he continues, he says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which he decreed before the ages for our glory. Hmm. Um, 
And I think that's that's a big thing. Number one, an, a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Um, I think that can be a little difficult to parse out. And Skylar, you might have uh, more wisdom or knowledge to place on that. But I think that if we even think about the person of God, right, being a being who is unseen, um, in the same way, sometimes his will and actions are unseen to the human mm. eye, right? Um, but now we have through the Spirit, and I feel like so much of this gets revealed as we continue reading, so like we could do mm. that. But anyways, uh, as we have the Spirit within us, right, those things are imparted to us as we begin to come to a, the knowledge of God. Um, so we begin to come to a knowledge of the things that he's working out in mm. the earth. Um, and I love that these are things, again, we, have a, we, we serve a sovereign holy God who decreed these things before the ages. Um, mm. I love the statement that he did it. I, well, actually, I think I find it more interesting that I love it. But the statement that he says, he did it for our glory. Mm. Uh, Scott, can you maybe shed some light on what Paul's talking about here? Yeah, so first just want to comment on verse 7 where you mentioned the uh, declare God's wisdom a mystery that was hidden. So this is not the only place where Paul is going to call the gospel a mystery revealed. It's actually really significant because when we think of mystery uh, in a negative sense, like in uh, cultish uh, religions, it's, hey, there's these secrets only available to the elect. And as you graduate spiritually, you're going to gain access. The gospel is a, a very open secret. It's, it's available to anybody <laughs> Uh, who would apprehend it, but it's called a mystery because um, it, it's not a new message. Jesus didn't come to invent a new religion, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. But those who lived in the generation before Jesus walked the earth and even his disciples before the resurrection did not fully understand how God was going to bring about fulfillment of his promises, uh, which we see in verse 8, that if the rulers of this age and this is referring specifically, I believe, to political, religious, and demonic rulers, the powers and the principalities, understood what would be accomplished through the cross, yeah. that God was going to secure salvation, that he was going to disarm the powers and the principalities, that he was going to put an end to sin, sickness, and suffering. Uh, and again, Jesus secured these things at the cross. He'll enforce them in his second coming, um, but they've already been secured. Jesus has already been enthroned as king in the heavenlies, but this happened through the cross. According to human wisdom, we don't think that uh, God's suffering and an act of self-sacrificial love on the cross leads to the Son of Man being exalted, but that's the wisdom of God. And right. I think that's the mystery um, revealed. That's the mystery that was hidden. Jesus said specifically to his disciples at one point that uh, all the prophets and those who lived in the generations before you long to see what you now see and long to hear what you now hear. Um, so we have, and it was, it all culminates that I think one of the purest revelations, as we said before, of God's nature is given in the cross itself and what Jesus did upon the cross for us. Yeah. So that's the mystery revealed that when the son of man was lifted up on the cross, he was also exalted. Uh, it looked like the, the rulers of this age were triumphing over him, but it was actually their demise was being spelled out in the moment. Uh, it looked like they had him on court, but we know that the Daniel seven moment yeah. where Jesus is going to come back. Uh, riding on the clouds of glory is a scene of judgment where he's going <laughs> to rend judgment against the beast kingdoms of this earth. Um, so that's the mystery revealed. We could go into so much more detail about that, but the mystery revealed, um, again, I love its connection to verse eight. If they knew what was going to be accomplished, they wouldn't have let it happen. Uh, the power of the cross 
has now been released. And Paul, this is another reason why Paul is clinging to this message because he's like, oh, now I understand the power that was released at the cross. And I'm going to proclaim this all day long and make sure that the churches understand this. Uh, The powers of the air, the uh, the wisdom of this age still wants to shroud it and put it back under a veil and under mystery um, so that even though you call yourself the church, you keep walking according to the wisdom of this world. Um, but that's not God's desire for the church, which is why Paul is passionately proclaiming the message of the cross here. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question there. I think you were talking about specifically uh, how he intended it for our glory. And I, I, um, maybe rephrase your question again, Lucas. I understand. Yeah, no, specifically I- what you, yeah. I just wanted you to shed light on the whole thing. Uh, okay, awesome. Which is, you did wonderfully. Uh, awesome. But I think as well, <laughs> if yeah, what does it mean? And I think the fact that you defined um, what he meant by secret and hidden wisdom or, or the mystery revealed, um, I think it sheds light already on what he means by this. But if you could just lay out what it is that he's saying when he says that, these things were decreed before the ages for our glory. Cause he's talking about the saints, like mm. our is the saints, right? Yeah. When the only glory we have, I read something again, I'll paraphrase it. Uh, the, the glory we have, or the only glory we'll ever experience is the glory that Jesus, his own glory that he shares with us, not separate glory. It's, it's Jesus glory that he shares with us. It's why we're, we're co-crucified, but we're also co-heirs, heirs of what? Heirs of his inheritance that he richly and, undeservedly shares with us and what's really interesting even in the context of the cross is that we know that jesus although he shared this glory with the father before he came to the earth in the incarnation and he says in john 17 and i would desire now that they would see my glory the glory that i shared with you uh before the foundations of the earth so jesus was already divine it's not like he was a man who ascended and then became divine he was the divine god man from this but uh he was exalted um as the son of man also the son of god um through his suffering and the picture is one that he secured eternal benefits for us but also that as we walk in the way of jesus the way that we experience we will be exalted alongside the son of man but it's through our suffering it's through joining in the suffering of christ and embracing this message of the cross that we actually will share in his glory in the age to come, which means resurrected bodies, which means uh, inheriting the kingdom with him, ruling and reigning beside him, but ultimately being together with him forever. Um, But all this was secured through the cross, but it also was not only to secure our salvation, but also to become a template for how we would be co-exalted with him. We don't become divine, but we do uh, get exalted as a people, uh, a Jesus people beside him, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's good. Thank you. All right, we're good to continue on? Let's do it. Verse 9 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thought of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. 
For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Hmm. Man, if we could only lay hold of this reality. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I'll tell you what. I think even as you're, like, you talk about um, the secret and hidden wisdom of God, right? The the great mystery of um, the gospel, right? The things that, that God has laid out from, you know, before time was um, to his, you know, eternal reigning in New Jerusalem, right? Like, this is what we're talking about here, right? Like, the wisdom mm-hmm. of God, like the the meta-narrative um, plan and purpose of all of creation to point towards Christ um, before his coming and then, you know, after his uh, return to heaven and then in his return to the earth. Um, mm-hmm. Man, and... And it's like, <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like in so many ways it's so hard to grasp um, or lay hold of. But it really is such a beautiful um, reality hmm. to set our minds on, uh, to contemplate. Um, but so here, sorry to get back to <laughs> Paul says, uh, he quotes, this is Isaiah 41, is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's 41. Um, he says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Um, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Right. So he starts with this message from the old testament i think it's just a reminder that god is the same god now under the new covenant as he was under the covenant he made with uh abraham right he had this plan before the beginning of time as i was just saying um he knew that all these things would come together right so he says when no eye has seen or ear heard the heart of man imagine what god has prepared for those who love him who is it that he loves well he loves all people generally but he especially loves his saints is how i think I would say that um, those who are his own, right? Those who are his sons and daughters. And it's unto them, verse 10, he said that these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So these things that no eye has seen nor ear heard or the heart of man imagined. And I think that is the beautiful realities of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, God has revealed to us, those who he loves, through the Spirit, right? And then he kind of just inserts this line of logic. He says, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And then he compares, mm-hmm. he says, for... Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person in him? And so it is the same with God, that who knows the thoughts of God or can comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Then he continues and expresses a great reality, and that is that we have not received the spirit of the world. We have received the spirit of God, or the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. These things freely given are the things that he's prepared for those who love him before time began. And he's done it again. This is, you know, this is the fullness of, of what's been done through the gospel, right? Christ died on behalf of our sins, was raised back to life that we might be put to death in our sins and then have life in him. That life in him is sparked mm. and uh, fueled by the spirit of God that descended on us and now lives in us. And it's through that spirit of God that we now have been given access uh, mm. to the gift of God. And that is the knowledge of him, the things that he's doing, his will, purposes, and plans, yes. and of the fullness of the gospel to be carried out in the earth. 
And, and I just think about what type of life should this be producing in those who possess the spirit in it in context where Paul's kind of calling out the church again over this issue of division yeah. and selfish ambition, worldly wisdom, envy, all these different things uh, that come with a competitive mindset. Uh, when it says, but we have the mind of Christ, I can't help but think about Philippians 2, where it talks about the yeah. same mind that was in Christ Jesus also be in you, where yeah. he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming as a servant. So Paul's saying, like, look, yeah. you have the spirit of God that leads you into the wisdom of God, and this should be producing in you a life that is totally opposite and contrary to the world that you live in. You should be making a different statement as a community than you are because the spirit that lives inside of you leads you into the ways of God and the wisdom of God, which are both interconnected. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head where the Holy Spirit who understands the wisdom of God, uh, which is indiscernible by the carnal mind. It's nonsense to the carnal mind. It doesn't make sense. It's upside down. It's inverted. It seems backwards. Has taken residence inside of us. But that means that now because we have the spirit who understands the mind of God, we can understand and operate uh, according to the wisdom of God rather than according to the wisdom of this world. And as you mentioned, Lucas, yeah. the brilliance of the gospel is more fully opened and revealed to us because he does say uh, now we can understand what God has freely given to us. It's almost as if the light bulb has gone off over the yeah. gospel. The veil has been removed and we can now stare at these beautiful realities. Um, yeah, so I, I think just again, the gospel and specifically the message of Christ and the cross are from God's spirit and not born of human wisdom is what Paul's getting at. We didn't come to you with some clever message, um, some sweet 10 step program to a better life now, <laughs> but we came to you with this message that seems totally crazy to our flesh. Uh, and yet it's the wisdom of God because it's born of his spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we even see um, the grace and sovereignty of God just in the way that uh, these things work out as he continues in verse 13 and saying that, you know, we were we we're teaching these things of God and the wisdom of God, um, not by human wisdom, but by the spirit. We're interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual for the person who is natural can't accept. Right. Or I would say can't understand the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. Right. Just as he described in the first chapter that, again, mm -hmm. the, the wisdom, you know, the foolishness of God is is greater than the wisdom of man. And so. Um, man sees the wisdom of God as foolishness, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, what I'm trying to get at is I think that we see the fact that the Spirit works in us unto salvation, right? As we mm -hmm. hear things that are spiritual and in our natural state can't accept, understand them or understand them because they're folly to us. So the only way that we could come to an acceptance or understanding of them is if the Spirit has already begun a work in us. Um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to make that note. I think it's a beautiful thing. So. No, it's it's awesome and powerful. And I think even just on a really practical level, as we're talking about these two different types of wisdom, I just thinking about Jesus' statement that if you lose your life in this world, you'll gain it. But if you, yeah. what do you gain if you you know you gain the whole earth, but you forfeit your soul in the yeah. process? And you know, where Paul's talking about. Um, the wisdom of this age is already coming to nothing. You think about if you just spent your whole life storing up worldly wealth and pursuing success in the world's eyes and trying to be popular or make a name for yourself. Well, we already know that none of those things are coming with you into eternity. And it's like chasing the wind, as Solomon would say. Yeah. Uh, so that's foolishness. That literally is foolishness from an eternal perspective. But from the Lord's perspective and the same joy that was set before him when he went to the cross, he understood that what... 
was experienced as momentary suffering was storing up for him an eternal glory. And, and that's what the saints are called into as well. Uh, but kind of jumping just quickly on a, another track here, uh, just this chapter again in chapter one, where they're, Paul's basically saying, look, the church is called to make a statement in the city that it's planted in. You guys aren't making a very good statement right now through your division. You're not representing the gospel very well. So it leads us to this question, well, what statement is the church supposed to be making? And I wrote down here these verses from Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, and it says that his intent, referring to God, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, which means like multifaceted, multidimensional, deep wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we're called to demonstrate the wisdom of God to the powers of the air. That's not a, that's not a small thing. That's a pretty big yeah. deal um, that these heavenly beings who are opposed to the will of God are supposed to look at the church and get a picture of the wisdom of God. Uh, so Paul has to address the church on this front in Corinth and say, you're failing to make this demonstration. This is part yeah. of the eternal purpose of God. And you're failing. You're not making this demonstration. And why? Because you've slipped into earthly wisdom. So I have to re-proclaim the simple message of the cross to you, that you remember that you were founded, rooted, established in the message of Christ and his being and his death upon the cross. And this is the message that you're supposed to embody and embrace yeah. as a community. And that's going to make a statement to the powers of the air that you're no longer moving in the direction of the world. It's another way of uh, the church being able to say, hey, look at us. We're an alternative. But when the church fails to present an alternative, we fail to effectively demonstrate the gospel. And I think that's what Paul is getting after here. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think I'm excited to get into chapter three as I think mm. that he lays out some like so much of that. Um, mm -hmm. as I was, like I said, I feel like he was digging a hole down to the root of these things. And then now yep. setting a stepping stone, I think even furthermore, as we walk into chapter three, um, he begins to lay out the way in which this really affects one's life, how it should look and be played out. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think ultimately we should be a people who have the mind of Christ, who operate in the wisdom of the Spirit, as you're saying, and look mm. different than the ways of the world. Sam, um, so yeah, that's first Corinthians. You got more? Yeah, well, just one okay. last thing I want to yeah. say, just for the sake of, you know, when you hear things like, well, we have the mind of Christ, it can sound so abstract sometimes, and it's hard to like, feel like you're yeah. just... Uh, reaching for something to really grab on a meaning. I think another verse that comes to mind where it can feel this way is we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I've actually been just thinking about this verse this week. And, you know, the natural mind can say, no, I'm, I'm sitting at a desk in Kannapolis, North Carolina right now. <laughs> and I, I definitely don't, I just had COVID this last week. I do not feel like I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. But I think a simple, uh, interpretation of that verse it means that you're you're seated above the spiritual authorities that govern this world uh christ has been given all authority in heaven on earth and you're seated in that place of authority with christ in the heavenly places which means that you're no longer under uh the authorities that most people operate under jealousy strife envy pride bitterness unforgiveness uh these demonic forces saying you've been seated above that so come up a little bit higher, get with Christ wow. in heavenly places, get into the mind of Christ. And even though your feet might be on the ground in wherever you live, uh, your mind is supposed to be in heavenly places with Christ where you're, you're above those things. Uh, you have peace and you have joy in your spirit because you're seated again with Christ in heavenly places. And as we, the more we effectively live from heavenly places with Christ, where we're above uh, 
the spiritual atmospheres that are dominant right now there's a political spirit that's just raging in our nation we need to come up a little bit higher get with christ get into the mind of christ and get above the wisdom of this age and i think the fruit of our life and our relationships will start to look different as we walk out the wisdom of god that's totally opposite of the wisdom of this age um and, and that's going to be palatable just like fruit people can actually taste i think people will start to taste of our lives and say these people uh are, are people of a, a different type a different breed and again that comes from the wisdom of god being manifest in our lives yeah so good man and so that's that's first corinthians chapter two um uh, scholar man i appreciate you and appreciate you man walking through that with you um thank y'all for listening we will get into the next chapter here next week hope y'all enjoy grace and peace